Welcome to Talking Kotlin. On this episode, I'm sitting down with Kevin Gallagher discussing everything to do with multi-platform development. Hi, Kevin, and welcome to the show. Hi, Hardy. How are you doing since we last met at, uh, I think it was brief, like, hey, hey, at uh, DroidCon, right? Um, London? Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm doing well, you know. Um, it's been a fair bit of travel around uh, and a little bit of speaking and and whatnot but uh things are good great is it a busy time of year for you now or is it more kind of like laid back uh it's an interesting time of year because there's although there aren't a lot of deals that happen running a services business it's it's a lot of prep for what you're going to try to do in january so <clears throat> it's harder to get meetings and whatnot so you kind of have to like work harder to get them and then but then in a week or two it just everything stops until january so um this week is and kind of next week is super busy and then nothing really yeah what we were going to talk about yes we we're going to talk about multi-platform because there's a there's been a lot of uh, noise around the multi-platform stuff with kotlin so i i kind of take a step back and when i start explaining this stuff and really quickly I, you know i've been I've been working on a form of this type of, of logic sharing in, in just in native mobile for like a few years now. And um, my argument to people who are skeptical of this or have seen, you know, hey, I tried cross-platform a few years ago. It didn't work out. So this is obviously not something that can work. Um, there's, a, there's a distinction between shared UI and trying to build this whole you know, weird third app deployment situation, um, which I call shared UI has a history of like difficult implementations and not not met expectations versus something that is shared logic, which is the history of computers, right? Assuming that the tooling and the, and the, the environment and the efficiencies are there, um, it makes absolute sense that under the hood, you're, you're sharing a lot of the code that you're doing, which is the the difficult, you know, needs to be very tested architectural and logical stuff underneath your products. So I've been, I guess, you know, it would be not out of the realm of reality to say I've been obsessed with this for like the last few years because we are doing enormous amounts of duplicate work as developers. So you've tried all of the different options. I mean, you you did the whole uh, like React did you do the Xamarin, all of these different ways of trying to do multi-platform or not? Well, um, at an evaluation level, yes. So going back um, pretty much since since I started doing native mobile, I think everyone was also assuming it would be web in a, in a few years, right? Yeah. So if you asked me in 2010, where are we going to be in 2015? I'm like, everything's web. Obviously, there's no more native. That's what I thought. So we spent a lot of time in the early years trying to figure out how to make mobile web kind of work. And when I say mobile web, I don't mean the like the delivery. I don't mean you literally go to a website. I mean the HTML5 in a container. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. And then also when Xamarin came out, I, I had huge expectations. I think everyone that is kind of a C-sharp original fan, had huge expectations of Xamarin. And over the years, I would dip back in for a while and try it out. And very much in 2015, I spent a good chunk of time, including like 
getting some of their DevRel in the office and hearing the pitch and, and going behind the scenes. Um, and ultimately, they they felt short of expectations because the tooling was uh, Xamarin Studio was was absolutely um, let's be kind and say not great and not productive. Um, let's say that you were going to build an Android app, not a cross-platform thing. If you were going to build it with Java at the time and Android Studio, um, that's, let's say, the most efficient way to do it. If you'd built the same set of features in Xamarin Studio with C Sharp, it's going to take you some percentage of time longer, and that's at least 30% up to 50% longer to produce the same output for one platform because the efficiency of the tools, the fewer libraries, the far less support, the smaller community, all that put together means it's not very productive. And that was ultimately, um, I had the same, I have a friend who runs, who was very involved in the Xamarin meetup in New York, and he also does native mobile on Android and iOS directly. And he said the same thing to me. That's where I was getting my percentage numbers. He's like, it's at least 30% longer to produce the same unit of work. <clears throat> so ultimately, um, those that's like that's kind of what it, there's this promise but if the tooling and the libraries don't keep up you can't it doesn't work and xamarin specifically is a problem because you have to make this big decision and adopt an entire ecosystem like if you're going to deploy an app it's not very easy to do a little bit in xamarin and the rest in native so that's a super risky proposition never mind the fact that you have to distribute the runtime and you're in a different memory universe and you've got unique problems just to the environment itself yeah so yes, tried it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, and no, we all, and then it was like, okay, if we, if we turn into a Xamarin shop, I'd have to like either retrain the whole team or like slowly get people out and hire new people. Like it's an, a major decision. You can't just do that. You can't convert a client's app midstream, you know? So it just never became, it was never feasible. And, and would you say that the same thing kind of applied or did you try the same approach with uh, React? Uh, we did look at React. Uh, React has a similar issue where React and Xamarin are actually quite similar uh, spiritually because, uh, I guess that's the wrong word, architecturally, I don't know. Um, they both have separate VM runtimes. They both really have separate ecosystems. They both make it very difficult to work with something native that isn't already included by someone else. So in the case of React, I think you have to bust out C++. And anytime you know, you're promising web developers can do native mobile easily with their current tools. And oh, wait, you have to also know C++, forget it. Um, I don't understand React Native's purpose as far as Facebook's concerned. And if you can't really follow the money, there's a risk. So the best answer I've gotten from the Facebook people, and I meet a lot of them because I run Droidcons, you know? Yeah. Um, and I know a lot of the developers. They don't really use it much internally. The reason... The best answer I've gotten is is recruiting question mark. So um, that's an interesting approach. Yeah, and I don't think it's wrong necessarily. It's just that um, there are going to be times when they get tired of it and they don't update everything. So the support libraries for Android, for example, were um, behind quite a bit uh, for a period of time. I don't know if they still are. <clears throat> so it becomes something that is again risky like if you adopt it it's very hard to like use a little bit and also live in your other world um you have entirely separate teams and separate understandings 
never mind that, that you're just stuck with JavaScript. And like, I obviously, if you look at what I talk about all the time, like I'm also obsessed with SQL. <laughs> I don't know why, but um, you know, now you, you, the idea of like sharing logic, you know, between your native and also your web um, mobile architectures, at least as far as native mobile architectures go, tend to be dramatically different in a lot of ways. So it's not necessarily just because they're in JavaScript, you can do it. Like you have to really understand these things. And my concern at a higher level is the idea of taking web developers and letting them do native mobile. Um, the attitude that I found in orgs is often cool. Now we can make web stuff on mobile, but there's like a lack of understanding what being truly mobile means. I'm sure that that's gotten better, but I don't know. You know what I mean? So I could go on. Yeah, no, but, but I mean, you do bring up an interesting point as well there, which is like, you know, what is, if people that are building these things are using it themselves and what happens if they lose interest? Because that's something that we never really consider when we're adopting technologies and adopting, uh, you know, different frameworks from different companies. I mean, some people can't, Initially, the, a few years ago, even not a few years ago, last year when we first announced Kotlin Native, mm -hmm. uh, you know, they came to me. Someone I was giving a talk about it in in Sydney, in Australia, and someone comes to me and says, "Okay, so what's your business model around it?" I'm like, "What do you mean?" It's like, "Well, you know, you've got, you, you know, you're selling IntelliJ Idea. Are you going to have a paid product for Kotlin Native?" And we're like, well, yeah, that's the plan, right? And he's like, well, that's great because now I know that there is some incentive, you know, there is some financial backing on this that you're not just going to, you know, eventually just run out of money and you can't develop it further, right? And I and I think that this is a, a, an aspect that a lot of times we don't take into account. So it's interesting. I have to have like a side reach out to you. You know, I won't take a lot of time here, but <clears throat> my... You know, I, I spent a lot of time just coding, right? But it's ultimately I'm trying to to develop a new business line for the services business. And we're, we're like in parallel, our marketing team is kind of building a like a business case for Kotlin that we're going to start pitching to orgs, right? So um, that's a thing that I've been talking about in my talks quite a bit, which is risk. And one one aspect of risk risk is like organizational risk, you know. Um, not to throw everything under the bus, but Flutter just had their 1.0 yesterday, right? And, you know, I said to people that are Flutter fans, I'm like, w you know, why is Google making Flutter? And then they take a step back and it takes them a while to like think about it. If you can't figure out financially why someone's doing something, um, it's a risk. It just is. Um, you know, I talked to someone else about React Native. This was a couple of years ago. And that person said, you know, I feel comfortable that Facebook is going to be a good steward to this community. I'm like, really? What about Parse? You know, <laughs> like, are you sure? So I asked, I was actually at Kotlin Cop. I asked Andre the same question. Like, you guys are giving away the, the tooling for multi-platform. What are you going to charge for? Because if you're not charging for something or i don't understand your business model it is a concern yeah and so, it's a valid one yeah of course because yeah. it like opens uh, you know it is funny because we uh, i try to explain the software world especially the open source side of it to my friends who kind of run businesses in like the normal world and they absolutely do not understand how this works like 100 percent. <laughs> not that i do but like it's amazing 
if you think about it. And and it's actually funny because I know we're completely sidetracking here, but it doesn't matter because like it's just recently I was having a conversation with someone on Twitter that was criticizing that we're charging for our tools. And, uh, <laughs> and, and I said like, you know, very politely, I'm like, how is it that you charge money for the work that you do as a software developer and you find it awkward that we charge money for our tools? And his response was, well, I'm not, and I quote, Facebook, Google, or JetBrains. And I'm <laughs> like, well, I'm sorry to break this to you, but like Google and Facebook can have their own business model, but the, the business model of JetBrains is actually making money from tools. Like, Yeah, I... I you know, honestly, um, I in my talks, and you know, obviously, considering what I do now, like we're fairly, you know, very fairly big fans of JetBrains. But I also, I think it's a badge of honor that in a world that no one is allowed to charge for anything, uh, JetBrains still is a profitable business, very profitable business, charging for things. I think that's really cool. Touch yeah. wood. Touch wood. Oh, oh, yeah, I got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Anyway. Uh, you know, yeah. Okay. Off of the business model and the op open source and the risks. Uh, coming back to actually what we were going to talk about, which is multi-platform. So you've tried multiple uh, approaches, and now you are doing things with uh, with Kotlin, right? Right. And and for people that aren't familiar, uh, because you know sometimes people also ask me like, how are you different to Xamarin? How are you different to React Native? Could you maybe some give some insight into how we would be different with, with those two solutions. I, uh, this is like the bulk of the beginning of my talks. Um, yeah, absolutely. So the, it, you know, the biggest, I think, mechanical difference that you notice right away that's very important. Um, Kotlin interrupts with the environment it's in, in, the, the, in a native and frictionless way. So, in the JVM, obviously Kotlin interrupts with Java. That's like the you know that's the 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 prime currently the primary vehicle of how Kotlin interrupts with anything. Um, <clears throat> in the JavaScript world, it it does JavaScript. In the native world, um, it lives in the native environment as if it's another native thing because it is. So it compiles down with LVM. It doesn't have some weird like surrogate memory model it's not running like a vm so um when you're building an ios app let's say um you are making a framework and you're calling that from swift and swift doesn't know that it's not a native thing so that gives you a few things most importantly it's optional sharing so the you can you can start by doing one module and putting that in your app without any real overhead you can do it incrementally. You could just write tests to verify that both platforms in the mobile situation are doing what you expect. So it doesn't involve a big decision, which doesn't carry along with it the big risk associated with big decisions. This is why I think a Xamarin or a React Native or a Flutter or whatever, to a developer, I think they don't understand the, the, the weight that risk carries inside of orgs that need to make these decisions, right? Um, that's one major difference. And like, for example, you know, people are like, well, what about Swift for, for Android? I'm like, yeah, Swift for Android could technically work. Um, but besides the 30 meg runtime you'd have to add to Android, you're also talking to it from JNI. So it doesn't really live in the world that it's, 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 in, it's occupying. So 
Kotlin is definitely different in that way. Um, not to toot your horn, but the tooling and the developer experience. Um, I think universally, JetBrains is like the best shop building tools, period. So that's super critical. But right? to like be with, fair, I think that we still have quite a bit to improve on in terms of multi-platform and native. For multi-platform? Yeah. Multi well, we didn't talk about what are things like today. I'm talking about the future. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay? Yeah. No, no, no. Plenty to work on. Um, yeah. You've definitely decided to take on a big challenge, but that's cool. No, uh, I have faith that um, <laughs> tooling is going to be the best it can be, right? Like I, it, I talk to a lot of developers, increasingly a lot of iOS developers, and nobody has a kind word for Xcode ever. It's amazing. Like I am shocked about that. Uh, not that I think Xcode's great, but you'd think somebody would love it, and and like they kind of don't. So I think that that's a huge deal. Like other things that have come out, um, like, you know, Kotlin came out and then there was also like Celion. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. And, yeah, yeah. And, and, and extend from Eclipse, which I, I think they needed a better name. But um, those things, I don't know where they're at now, but I certainly never heard more about them than I did when they came out. And I don't feel like they're growing. And on the flip side, Kotlin is the most popular, you know, growth language in GitHub, right? Or whatever. Like it's, it certainly tops the list of things that people want. And a lot of that has to do with the tooling and the developer experience, yeah. not just the language itself, right? Yeah. So those are, those are also differences. Like I spent a couple of years trying to pitch a, a J2OBJC thing, which we won't mention ever again. Um, but they could look it up on your web if they want to, right? Because that's yeah, your no, they, project. They can. Um, I, you know, I still. I was having this argument last night at a Kotlin meetup. They're like, "Yeah, that thing was terrible." I'm like, no, it wasn't. It worked perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Super. It worked great. But the nobody, nobody wanted a Java thing in the age of Kotlin, and certainly nobody wanted an Objective C thing ever, in the right? Age, so, age of Swift, yeah. right? Oh yeah, ever, so, yeah, ever. <laughs> So that's not true. I met some I met some some gray hairs who 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 don't understand why people like Swift, but that's a different discussion. Anyway, uh, it wasn't cool. It was not popular. It certainly wasn't forward looking. So um, nobody even looked at it. You have to also people have to be excited about the product itself. And there's a lot of excitement around Kotlin. Yeah. With Xamarin and with React, people kind of have a general idea of how it works, right? Uh, right. Now with Kotlin. If I were to create an application that is targeting iOS and, and targeting Android, you know, iPhone and Android, what exactly would I write in Kotlin? What could I share in Kotlin okay. of, of the code basis? Okay. So um, I think most people <clears throat> are, are starting out with the idea of logic. So raw logic, like I, you know, let's say I have a complex mathematical calculation or um, maybe I have a sort of a relatively complex like string formatting thing, whatever, something that is um, separable, you know, can, can live in an isolated thing and is testable and you don't want to like rewrite that in multiple languages. You can write that in shared code and write your tests and make sure that that all works perfectly well. And then just kind of give that to Android and iOS and they can call into it. Um, 
and get that logic. That's something you can absolutely do. And that is pure Kotlin code. Pure. Pure Kotlin code. Okay. Um, what I guess you could say my focus has been is is to say, okay, logic is fine, uh, but I think that there's a lot of architecture that can also be done. And to what, how far can you really take that? And that's kind of where, uh, like what I'm doing is. So what I just, I pushed, it was like midnight after the Kotlin meetup, but it was like the, the, the next pull request into SQL Delight, which is uh, a library from Alex Strong from Square that is, is like this really good SQLite um, code gen and, and facilitator library. And I wrote like a native driver, right? And we're trying to be able to build uh, for native mobile the capability of doing all of your database stuff. And, um, you know, for our, the Joy-Cons, I, I wrote, uh, I essentially took an analog of live data, which is Google's um, architecture components reactive model. And everything from the database and the networking and the threading and the <clears throat> reactive like data push all the way to the UI, everything right up into the point where you give the UI a data object to show on screen, that was all shared Kotlin. And then on the iOS side, it was the Swift was just getting the, the screen out of the storyboard and then taking data coming from Kotlin and pushing it into the UI elements. And all of the Swift lived in the main thread. All, anything that might be the different thread was all Kotlin. So, that's like kind of what I'm doing. So like in the, I would, I tell people like Q1 and Q2 next year, expect to see a flood of libraries and especially in the native mobile world, you can get away with doing the overwhelming majority of your non UI code in shared code right. if you want to. Because there's a business logic aspect of it. And then there's some of the other aspects of the application, such as infrastructure, yeah. logging, HTTP requests, database access, et cetera. Right. Yeah. And, and, and and, and this is the part where we're talking about that you could potentially end up using Kotlin for these things as well, right? Yeah. Now, there are definitely, there are already, if you go on the Kotlin Slack, there already are people trying to build like shared UI definition libraries. Yeah. Um, I, I don't. I don't know how that's going to go. Let's just say that the history of that is... Exactly, is, which is one right. of the reasons that we tried to not do that, right? Yes, exactly. Now, now again, in, in some context, like if you're in an enterprise context or if you're in a, a non-critical, like, you know, the 80% the of your app that people only see, you know, less than 20% of the time, perhaps you want to build like the setting screens or a bunch of forms. You can build that with some sort of shared definition. Yeah. But I, I think that's fine. The critical difference is that with a an optional kind of sharing environment, you're not like locked into that decision. And that's really like the important difference that I keep having to remind people. The other thing I forgot to mention, what's different about Kotlin multi-platform versus like everything else except J2OBJC was uh, the Java or the Kotlin side of Android is 100% native. It's only, it's not cross-platform at all. So if you think about it, Xamarin, um, React Native, like whatever, they all are treating the native host environments as an, as, as a, a, an other thing, and they're all cross-platform. The Android side of a Kotlin solution 
isn't. It's really only like half of a cross-platform thing because the only side that's not entirely what you would do otherwise is the iOS side. So, Okay. Now, if I have shared code, uh, which is pure Kotlin. That's absolutely great. I can I can share this across uh, multiple platforms. Uh, so, for people that aren't familiar with this constructs of expect and actual that that Kotlin has, could you explain a little bit why the need for that and where that is being used? Where you would use those things? Yeah, I think the easiest way to explain it to somebody is like think of it like an abstract method, but like turned sideways. So um, I am, I'm in the common code and, and I need something. The easiest way to do it, I explained in my talks is like, I'm in common code and I want to find out if I'm in the main thread. And that's a question that makes sense in some environments, but in other environments, it doesn't make sense at all. So uh, it isn't, you know, in common Kotlin doesn't have any concept of threading because it, it you're not always in a threaded environment. So um, I'll write a thing that I'll write a function that says that's just asking. Actually, it's a it's a property. I'll write a val that says main thread and it's a Boolean and I'll prefix that with expect. And what that says is when when you finally when I'm finally running in a real environment, I expect this to be implemented. Right. Um, so my shared code will say you know, if main thread and then do something. On Android, uh, the implementation is with the looper and you just ask the looper if you're the main looper. And I and then on the Android side of your code in the Android folder, essentially the JVM folder, um, you just write, you implement actual val main thread and you, you do that check. And on the iOS side, there's a, a method on NS thread that you just say actual val main thread is equal to NS thread main thread. And I put up for JavaScript, you just say actual val main thread is equal to true because you always are. On the main thread. Right? Yeah. So um, so, sorry, it's, so essentially you've got these uh, keywords actual expect, which could mm -hmm. be somehow kind of explained as, uh, as you said, abstract or implementation, interface implementations, but that are known at, at compile time, so to speak, right? I mean, you have to provide yes. the implementation. And, and the other thing that's, and also in my talks, it's really good now that wasn't true several months ago. Um, IntelliJ knows when you haven't completed an implementation. So you can just have it auto-gen and it takes you right to the source in the platform-specific code and then you just fill it in. So it, it the tooling really helps you because it's important to understand that you can't compile for a platform if you don't implement all the actuals. Yeah, which is good. It's kind of like a safety check of something that you wouldn't have with a, using something like an IOC container, right? You wouldn't, yes, yeah. you wouldn't know this at compile time. Okay, um, so coming back to, you actually mentioned ecosystem and this is something that, that I wanted to touch on because you know you said that what you foresee in like Q1 and Q2 of next year is that there's gonna be more uh, multi-platform libraries where people can use more Kotlin across the different platforms and share this code, right? Mm -hmm. Now, with regard to this, I mean, one of the things that we've always uh, kind of, you know, promoted with the idea of Kotlin, if you think about it, like when Kotlin came out for JVM, it was, okay, interop with Java, right? So that you don't have to reinvent the entire ecosystem. When it came out with, uh, when we came out with types, uh, t JavaScript, again, let's try and re interop with existing 
JavaScript modules. And I mean, even, you know, for better or worse, we have some sort of level of being able to use definitely type TypeScript definition files and generate the, the headers for Kotlin. With Kotlin native, again, it's kind of like Swift, uh, C, interop, use existing libraries, etc. Now you're saying, well, you know, in Q2 next year, there's going to be a whole bunch of new libraries, hopefully, that, that people can use. So how much of that contradicts the idea of interopping with existing stuff and not having to wait for an entire new ecosystem to flourish? Um, it's not that it contradicts it. Like, there's a difference between if I wanted to write a native app using Kotlin for a bunch of my code versus I want to write a multi-platform app. So um, Ktor is actually a great example. Uh, there's a client side of Ktor that that can do networking stuff, right? And, and just to be, uh, can you, for those that aren't familiar, Ktor is? Yeah, it's a... Um, it's a networking library, but like client and server side library that is coroutines uh, in, is aware, enabled, or, or yeah, empowered, you, I guess. And yeah, and you can write web servers within it, et cetera. Kind of like, right. yeah. And then the client side, um, you can write client side code. So um, I think it's somewhere in between for the Java folks, it's somewhere between HTTP URL client and like, uh, like a retrofit, but not quite. Like it's it's somewhere in that spectrum. It's not quite as low level. Like as trim down level. Spring Spring Boot as well. Like yeah. really, okay. Trim down, yeah. kind of. Like, yeah, yeah. That's that's probably a better explanation. Like yeah. It's more like a volley, I guess. Not many people have used volley outside of Android. Uh, so um, yeah, and and if you just wanted to write networking code on iOS, you could just we or you know the Kotlin native already wraps. Um, the NS, you know, URL, NS URL session, like ecosystem, you could just write code that already exists in that world. Uh, what Ktor has to do is define an interface and then that you can call in shared code and then um, delegate to the platform specific implementations in a way that makes sense for both platforms. And that's like the, the amount of thinking and orchestration that sort of, um, needs to happen for multi-platform libraries. And some of that um, is sort of defined. Like with SQL Delight, I mean, not to take away the amount of like excellent coding that Alex done, but like you're building a SQLite facilitation library that doesn't need to know much about the platform it's on. So you don't really have to like navigate those platform intricacies as much. Yeah. Other libraries are going to have to. Like if you wanted to build a a location library like uh, the way android does um permissions is different the way than ios does permissions so you have to like you probably have to take a little further step back and do more and the, the developers have to do more platform specific stuff but i think what people are doing logging is a good example logging on these various platforms is entirely different and i can tell you right now watching the kotlin slack there are at least four different people trying to build multi-platform logging libraries yeah at, le at least <laughs> <laughs> i mean I, I mean, I don't think that it contradicts, but I just wanted yeah. to lead into this, right? Because would it be fair to say that just like we took 
some of the existing libraries on the JVM and some people created like, you know, very thin layers for shards that were more idiomatic Kotlin on the JVM. Would you say that what's happening here is essentially creating this, uh, you know, cross-platform API for Kotlin and then delegating the actual implementation to the native libraries on each platform? Would that be more or less an accurate description yeah. of what's happening yeah uh that's that's exactly what it is really um and some libraries are relatively they don't have a lot of platform translation that's necessary and some libraries are going to need an enormous amount of it you know what i mean like a uh, good example would be um russell wolf did this thing called uh multi-platform settings which i think he needs to catch your name but it does it says exactly what it is uh on the android side it's it's uh shared preferences and the ios side it is ns user defaults they both do the same thing but they have entirely different apis so the multi-platform library is really just translating between the two yeah there's not a lot of logic so technically it's not so much waiting for an ecosystem because nowadays if you want to do something with Kotlin you can use any of the native libraries for each platform this is more about just creating a common uh, API that you can use consistently and share it across your code base yeah I mean yeah you don't need to wait it's just you know for obvious reasons like providing a common language that still needs for you to hand roll your platform specific implementations doesn't give you a lot of efficiencies. It's it's when somebody does a good job of marrying the two that you get that. So that's that's the trick. And that's why all my talks now are really focused on trying to recruit people to work on libraries. Yeah. And also it's important to get iOS for the native mobile world. It's important to like try to induce some iOS people because you know that's a political problem when you when you're talking to people in an org. People are defensive of their platform. So if it feels like everything on the Kotlin multi-platform is like an Android hand-me-down, you know, like the then the iOS people feel like stepchildren. And and as a stepchild, I like to say, there's nothing that upsets you more than being reminded that you're a stepchild. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it would be good to have iOS analog libraries. Because a lot of the early stuff that's going to be coming to native mobile, at least for Kotlin multi-platform, is going to be analogs of what existed for Android because people, it takes time to rethink. And what are the main headaches or pain points that you're encountering right now with regard to doing uh, multi-platform projects with Kotlin? I am so prepared for this answer. You have no idea. Let's uh, go. Bring it on. <laughs> well, it, okay. Some of it's just like today problems, right? So like um, all the JetBrains libraries and all of the JetBrains examples work with Gradle 4.7. Android Studio, the new version, requires Gradle 4.10, which doesn't sound like a big deal until you understand how dependencies work. So uh, we're sort of straddling that world. And that's a that's a temporary issue. I think once uh, Kotlin 1.3.2 comes out, um, we're going to start seeing deployments um, from JetBrains, I, I've got, I haven't gotten a commitment, but I've gotten a suggestion that we'll start to see that. And it's very important that we have stable library deployments and stable dependency consumption available for the ecosystem to evolve. And that's going to happen soon. Today, that's definitely an issue. Um, the tooling is like light years ahead of where it was 
you know, six months ago when, when you were basically coding in notepad because nothing understood anything. Um, but it's still like flaky and, and still be a little sometimes slow to re reset stuff like that. You just have to kind of learn how to, how to deal. Um, but it's way better because once it understands the code, you get like the code completion, you get the, Hey, you didn't do this actual, let me generate that for you stuff. Um, that's going to obviously improve over time. Yeah. Um, we need a, we need a visual debugging tool. Like, absolutely need a way to put a breakpoint and get a stop and run through it. And I, I was just on the Slack talking, and you know, uh, the information I got is you can do this on LLDB command line, but obviously that needs. Yeah, to be. that's not going to cut it, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, build compile times are going to need to improve a fair amount because right now the other side in the mobile world and in the web world you know the immediate response from a react fan or a flutter fan is you know i can make a change and it immediately shows up on my test implementation uh whereas you have to compile and that and that's just a process of like now once things get stable it's like optimizing you have to like make it stable first and then optimize it but it's going to have to improve i think maybe not um, cause the other thing you can think about is that, especially in the Android world, you know, you're kind of building all of your, your app and your logic in Android studio, and then you're kind of compiling it once and then implementing your UI on Swift. So like you're not compiling all the time, but the compile times definitely need to get better. This is all like improvements to, oh, and we need multi-threaded coroutines. Like we need multi-threaded coroutines. I can say that at every talk. <laughs> And and that's it's very hard because of the thing I'll get into next, which is I I love the idea that there's going to be changes in how concurrency work. Like I love languages like Rust. I love you know the, what they're thinking about how concurrency works, right? Um, and for those who don't know, go back and watch the Kotlin Conf keynote and skip towards the end to the like the future where there's a discussion of standard concurrency. And then watch Nikolai's uh, talk about how Kotlin native does memory and state. The biggest hurdle I get with new people, including I'm trying to explain this to my team now, because uh, we're training people on my team up, is how Kotlin Native thinks about state and concurrency. And I, I talk to a lot of Android developers as, you know, which is an occupational hazard that I have running conferences. <laughs> and uh, a lot of them are like, yeah, no, no, I'll just, I'll just strip out the Android specific stuff and then I'll have a library. I'm like, no, you really won't. Like you really, really, really need to understand how that works. And that, that is an, I, that's a mental, I can explain that in two simple rules, but then it takes you three months to really sort of internalize it. So, so it's, it's good for the future. It's very tricky for the immediate present. So that I think is probably the, 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 the thing that people have to understand that isn't going to go away. Like it's, you're not going to improve that because IntelliJ gets better. Definitely libraries will help. But you need to understand how that works and you need to come to terms with what it means for your code. Yeah. And I, we should actually have another uh, episode where you talk about that. That would be a good one. <laughs> yeah. I, I, on my never-ending list of things I need to do is, is essentially that, like another blog post and a long video. And, or I'm like even talking about people with, with doing a class. But I'm happy to absolutely, absolutely happy to talk about that in the future podcast too. We'll definitely have you on for another show cool. uh, where we can talk about uh, some of the last things that you we, you were mentioning because i think that's very interesting as well 
Yeah, uh, I, sure, absolutely, would love it. Um, and and I am, you know, actually to, to sort of tie it back, like uh, I'm spending a lot of time trying to like advocate and sort of I describe it as I'm trying to catalyze um, this ecosystem, and that means I'm trying to make it happen faster. And I'm doing that because I like it, but I can also draw very clear and simple financial reasons why I'm doing it. <laughs> And it's important to understand that, you know, like, of course, I want this to come faster because I want, you know, I want to be able to do it, you know, like that's what I do for a business. So, yeah, um, yeah I don't know why I threw that in, but it's it's like, yeah, you know, th there's good reasons to do this stuff. And I think it's a, it's a good, fun, bright future. So happy yeah. to talk at any time you want. I mean, even independently from your own motivations and financial reasons, there's still we have to give a lot of gratitude and, and thank to everything that you're doing and your support oh. nonetheless. Wow. Uh, same back to you. I, I think you've been um, amazingly supportive and I really appreciate it. Awesome. And on this very high note, <laughs> uh, we will end this and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll catch up at another time and talk more cool. awesome things around Kotlin. Sound, sounds great. Great. Thanks, Kevin. All right. Thank you. Ooh.